right, how are we doing this morning? Good, 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 awesome. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Mark chapter 10 is where we will be. We'll get there here shortly. Mark chapter uh, 10, we'll get there here in just a few moments. You can um, follow along on the app. If you haven't downloaded the app, do that. There's a place there uh, in worship that you can follow along. Got some outline and notes and things. You can even make notes. Um, so I'm going to let you know that. A uh, couple things real fast too. Um, our, our discipleship development is up and running again. And so we're adding classes as we see need. And so right now we've got Phil uh, Clark um, has opened up a new class, so they're all here. The adult classes are here, all the children's over here, um, but we've got three uh, adult discipleship development classes going, so if you want to go deeper, dig deeper, uh, have more fellowship, those are opportunities there. Um, and so we've got three classes open right now. We're trying to limit those to 12 to 15 people in a class just so we can social distance the best we can and try to be as safe as we possibly can there. Um, but those are up and running. Uh, and the last thing that I have real fast before we kind of jump in and recap a little bit and stuff like that is, is youth. I would like to meet with the youth immediately following service uh, just real fast down here uh, about Wednesday night. Just like to meet with you guys and talk for just a moment. Um, so youth, if you could give me that uh, privilege and honor, I would appreciate it. Um, and so uh, that's, I think, all the announcements that I forgot to mention or, or say uh, there. And so we are in a series uh, called The Kingdom. And so we're just uh, walking through the scriptures and looking at what it means to be a part of a kingdom, what that even means, the kingdom, how to be citizens, those type of things. And so uh, last week what we did is we just looked at the way of the kingdom and how Jesus said and Jesus did some things that uh, went against the desires of the people, went against the heart and the direction of what the people thought the king would be like. We looked at what, uh, how Jesus establishes his kingship, what that meant, how he came in humbly, uh, uh, one who would serve and do things different than what their mentality and their thought of a king would be. And so just looked at that last week and talked about his way and how, uh, how it went against the people's preconceived notion of what they were looking for as it pertained to a king and a kingdom. And so if you missed that week or any of the weeks, you can go back and check that, uh, check that out on our website or our app. And so uh, what we've seen in this kingdom series is that God creates the world and everything in it. And he does so. And as he does, he establishes his rule and his reign. And so when you think of kingdom of God, when you think of kingdom of heaven, think of God and his rule and his reign and he establishes that. And so in his kingdom, what we've seen is that there's no chaos. There's no death. There's only peace and presence and harmony and everything is, is unified and good. And God creates man in that environment. And he creates woman. He creates them both in his image. And so man and woman, they are naked and they are unashamed. And what that means is this, is that there's nothing to hide. There's no shame. There's, they're, they're fully known. They're fully seen. This being not naked and unashamed is not a clothes thing, but it's a heart thing. It's a motive thing. They're fully, fully known in that, in that aspect. And so then what we see is God gives them the task of tending and keeping his creation with only one rule. A very simple kingdom that he sets up. One rule, one thing to not do. And what do we learn early on in the story? That one commandment was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? They blow it, don't they? They blow it and they go against and they fail miserably and they disobey the one thing that God tells them not to do. And then what we see in the story is we just see the story even lived out today in our world and our culture. We see this happening right now before our eyes. Is that ever since that dreadful day, man has felt and experienced the consequences of his actions, of the actions of his father, of our father Adam. We're seeing that and we're experiencing that. And we're doing everything in our power to try to fight for and figure out the way that we can feel the greatest need in our life, which is God's presence. Which is God's presence in us and with us. And so my hope this morning is this, is to show you in the scriptures how to experience God's presence to the fullest now and become citizens of that kingdom. 
how to experience it now and become citizens of that kingdom. So I hope to accomplish it, do that in two ways. Two ways this. Simple outline this morning, two points is one is how to become citizens of the kingdom. That's what I want to talk about first. And then the second thing I want us to look at is this is, is what do we do as citizens? What does that mean? How does, how does that affect us? What should we do as a result of that? So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray and then we will, uh, we'll jump into Mark chapter 10. Father, we, we love you, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you, God, again for another opportunity to gather. God, to open up your word and hear it proclaimed. And so, Father God, as, as, as your word is proclaimed this morning, Jesus, we pray that you would move in a way that is undeniable. And so, Father, I just want to take a moment this morning. I want to pray for the heart in this room that might not be yours. The, the one that may not be a part of this kingdom that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And so, Father, I just want to pray for that heart that if that's the case, God, that you would awaken in them this reality and this desire for their need for you. Father, as we outline and as we look at what that means, God, I just pray if that's the case that your Holy Spirit fall heavy on this place and move in a mighty way to draw lost man, lost woman, lost child to you. So Father, we, we pray for that. We ask that. God, we want to celebrate that this morning if that be the case. And, and God, for those of us who are part of the, the, the kingdom, God, may we be reminded of the great price that was paid for us to be, for our citizenship. May we not take advantage of that. May we not overlook that. And, and so Father, would you just help us live in a way that, that points to and shows your rule and your reign. And so Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, speak in a mighty way. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing is how to become a, a citizen of heaven. How to become a citizen of heaven. Uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13, this is what the scriptures say. It, it says this, it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. So, so children are coming to Jesus to touch Jesus, to be around Jesus, and the disciples don't like that. And so we, we see this happen often in the scriptures, don't we? The Bible teaches that children just love to be around Jesus. They wanted to be near Jesus. They wanted to be close to Jesus. I, mean, I just love this. I love seeing this. I love the realness of the scriptures, that, that children matter in the scriptures, that kids matter in the scriptures. I mean, just think about it for a second. I mean, what kind of person must have Jesus been that the kids would want to be around him? I mean, what kind of person, what kind of character would he be that the kids, that little kids would want to be around him? I mean, think about that for a second. He's not stiff. He's not super serious about everything. He's not always frustrated and grumpy with people. Because what I've learned is that kids don't like to be in that environment. Kids don't like to be around uh, circumstances and situations that are like that. Kids want to avoid that type of an adult. And so what you see in the scriptures is that there's this draw to Jesus from children. I mean, I love it. I think that just speaks to his heart, to his character, to his nature. I, I, I just think, I think that's a beautiful picture as, as we think of Jesus. And then look at Jesus' response here. But, but when Jesus saw this, when he sees that the disciples are, are turning him away, rebuking him, no, don't do this, we don't, we don't no, kids can't come around, no. This is what Jesus says, when he saw it, he was indignant. And so this must have been such a problem that the disciples have decided that, that Jesus doesn't have that kind of time. He just doesn't have enough time to have these kids around him, weighing him down, bogging him down. They just can't get to the kids. Let the kids be kids over there doing their thing. And I know the mentality so often is, pertains to children is that's, that's B-team type of work. That, that's JV type of work. Get away from Jesus. He just don't have time. He, he doesn't have that kind of time. He's going to focus on the big stuff that really, really matter. But what we see in the scriptures is that this mentality enraged Jesus. He's indignant. He's frustrated. He's aggravated. He's ticked off about it. And then he goes on to tell us in the rest of verse 14, he says, And he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of 
God. It's the heart of Jesus. And let the kids come to me. Don't you stop them from coming to me. Don't you, don't you derail them. And you'll see, you'll even see, uh, Jesus has some very, very uh, stiff language as it pertains to children and leading them astray. He, he says, it's, 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 it's best that you don't do that because it'll be like a millstone is tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. So Jesus is very serious as it pertains to children, as it pertains to leading children, as it pertains to loving children, as it pertains to uh, directing children and spending time with children. And, and so what I want to say, and I've, just, I've banged this drum for the last two years, I'm going to continue to bang it as long as I've got a drum to bang, is that that's going to be our heart here at New Life. We are going to be about children here at New Life. See, a substantial majority of the people who accept Christ as their Savior, they do so before reaching their 18th birthday. So if you ask me, personally, I think the most important ministries in this church is from birth to college. I think where we need to spend the majority of our energy and our effort is from birth to college. I think we need to be serious about that. And what this scripture shows me, and we'll get to how to become a citizen of heaven here in a moment, uh, but what this scripture shows and points us to is, is I mean, just the importance of children. Man, I want this place to be packed with kids. I want this place to be packed with you. Uh, who cares if we knock a hole in the wall every once in a while? Who cares if they're running up and down the hall screaming? All I know is I've been in churches that don't have that. And you know what happens? The doors eventually shut. The doors eventually close. I mean, we need kids. We need life in this church. And, and I would venture out and be willing to say that they probably show us how to worship Jesus more than maybe the majority of the adults in this room do. Just saying. And so we're going to reflect this. We're going to model this. This is a big, big deal for us. So a substantial majority of the people who accept Jesus, they do so before reaching their 18th birthday. And so I just want, I just want to give you some statistics real fast. Uh, before I do that, I just want to read. Um, it was funny how God just kind of sets things up. So uh, my brother-in-law comes here on Sunday mornings and uh, finishes up, finalizes some of his sermon. He's a pastor at another church. And uh, we're just talking a little bit this morning. And he gives me this. He's been reading a book. And, and so um, he, he gives me this. Um, he says, to pray or not to pray, historian David Barton documented the negative effects of removing school prayer by contrasting the top seven leading problems in the school system in 1940 and those in 1990. So, so buckle up for a second, church, and listen to this. In 1940, the, the, the seven uh, biggest problems in the school system was this, talking out of turn. All your teachers are like, man, I wish that was the only problem we had. Chewing gum. This is a gum-free zone. Making noise. <laughs> Running the halls. Line cutting. That's a problem. Line cutting. You can't get in front of me. I don't know if you remember that. Like, I'd usually do this. Like, no, nah, no cutting. No, no front backs. We do like that cute little front back thing. And it's not skipping if you front back them because now they're just part of... Anyways, line cutting was a problem. Dress code violations. Littering. One of the top seven problems in the school system in 1940, littering. Good night. 1990, listen to this. The number one thing, drug abuse. Alcohol abuse, number two. Pregnancy, number three. Suicide, number four. Rape, number five. Robbery and assault. Man, can we just not get back to the good old days when we would litter and cut line? I mean, is that not just like gut-wrenching? I mean, this is a national study. This isn't just made up numbers. I mean, a national study. David Barton, to pray or not to pray. 
and I just read that and I think of, man, what is our role, church? What, what, should, we, what should we be about? What should we be doing? What, what, how can we help? Listen, listen to these numbers. A, a current Barna study, Barna uh, is big in statistics and, 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 and religious um, studies and, and taking polls and things like that. And, and just, let's just listen to this for a moment. Listen to how, how important, again, I, th- I think children's ministry and, and youth and, and college ages. And, um, it, it says it's 43% of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before reaching the age of 13. 43% of Americans who come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they do so before reaching the age of 13. 64% of born-again Christians made that commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. Over half of people who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior do so before 18. 64%. Only 13% made the profession of faith while 18 to 21. Only 13. 23% were born-again Christians embraced Christ after their 21st birthday. What does, what does that tell you? It tells you and it models the exact heart of Jesus, does it not? I mean, he was serious about kids. He cared about kids. They were important. They, they meant he wanted to have time for the children. Well, because look at those numbers. If they're going to come to know Jesus Christ, they're going to do it before 13. And then the numbers uh, uh, go down extremely, extremely in big ways. Then listen, listen to this study. So the gospel shared with kids and I love this. I'm going to bang this drum like crazy. 50% of kids were led to Christ by their parents. Oh, uh, dang. 50% of children that come to know Jesus Christ, kids, were, it happened because their parents. I mean, so I'm going to champion parents. Who's the greatest influence in the life of a kid? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. 50% come to know Jesus as a result of their relationship with their mom and dad or, or their mom and dad's relationship uh, with Jesus. How, how they live it out, the things that they say, the things that they do, the things that they shouldn't do, uh, that they do, but then they come back and make right what they did that they shouldn't have done. All of those type of things go into factor and to see. And so what I'm saying is this, is the greatest share of the gospel in the home is mom and dad. Not the goofy pastor on the stage screaming at him week in and week out. Not the volunteers in their life throughout the week. Yes, we need those things and they're important, but the greatest influence as it pertains to the gospel is the men and women sitting in this room who has kids. So what does that tell us? Mom and Dad, we need, we need to raise the bar. We need to get serious about being intentional with our families. We need to get serious about sharing the gospel, having gospel conversations with our kids, about, about talking to them of the important things in life, and it's following Jesus. 20% of kids with the gospel being shared were, were led by some other friend or relative. 20%. 7% accepted Jesus in response to a minister's personal prompting. Kind of work myself out of a job, aren't I? 7% come to know Jesus. Only 7% because of what this guy stands on the stage and does week in and week out. 13% cited a special event as a turning point in their journey. 13, cited a special event. So, so people who become Christians before they're 13, before they're, they're, they turn 13, are more likely than those who, get, who are older and don't accept the gospel and don't believe in the gospel. And so I guess this brings me to that place this morning that just amps me up a little bit. It's something that has been heavy on my heart for probably about the last year, year and a half. 
It's been one of those things that's kept me up. It's been one of those things that's caused me to pray more than I've ever prayed. It's one of those things that's caused me to, to seek advice and to seek counsel. It's one of those things that just, man, I just, I just feel like it's a God type thing. And I'm going to share with you in a second how, why I believe it's a God type thing because I tried to do everything in my power to prove to God it wasn't a God type thing. Like I wanted people to tell me, Scott, this is dumb and this is crazy, don't do it. Don't even think this way. Don't even look this way. Scott, just keep doing it. I begged God to put people in my way like that. Like, I wanted the big, bright, flashing, no stop sign type thing. And so I even tried to put people in my life that would tell me that. And so after I shared with them my heart and they prayed with me and they looked at it, they're like, well, you know what? This might just could be God. I'm like, are you sure though? And so we just prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And so it's been heavy on my heart for the last year, year and a half, and I prayed through and I just continued to pray through it. And then about, about three months ago, what did I do? I, I approached the leadership of this church. And I pulled them in. I said, guys, I need your help. I said, I, I'm looking for a no here. I usually want them to tell me yes, but this is like one of those times, like, I need a no. And so I begin to share with them what God's put on my heart. And they're like, you know what? Let's pray about this thing. Scott, this is crazy enough that it could be God. I'm like, oh, okay, let's do it. And so for the last three months, we've prayed, we have fasted. And, and I believe that God has heard our prayers. I believe that God is showing us favor I believe that things are starting to happen. So, so what I want to do is, is I, I want to put something in front of you. Uh, um, I know Ms. Don has it. I, th I think Jody has it. Um, uh, we've, I've got a packet I want you to look at as, as I share with you this thing that God has put on my heart. So would you guys hand those out? Um, you can take one per family or you can take one per, however you want to do it. But this, this is the very thing that God has, has really just put on my heart, has, has, has pressed upon my heart. And I, I just want to show you. And you um, Dave, you can put that, that slide up there to show them. What is this? It's an after-school program. A an after-school program where we have the opportunity to do the exact same thing that we've just read about Th that's hindering, th that's hurting and plaguing our world. A and I'm a firm believer that we're, we're in the position that we're in, one, because we haven't lived out Jesus like we need to as the church and as believers, and, and two, because we need to champion the family, we need to come around, and we need to try to impact as many people as we possibly can. And so I just want to give you a second to get this in your hands, and then we'll kind of walk through some of the slides, and I'll, and I'll kind of give you some direction with, with what, what we're thinking and what we're, what we're praying about here. Just give you a minute to get that. That's neat that they're coming around. And so like I said, for the last three months, I've met with the trustees, we've prayed, we've met with Don, our financial secretary, and we've been praying, we've been fasting, we've been putting some things together, we've been looking at. Um, and, and so what is on our heart is this, is to start an after-school program whereby we can impact and play a role in the numbers that we just read, impact lives of children, impact the family, do some things. And, and this thing got so crazy as we were praying and as we were thinking about it, um, and I'll share that with you in just, just a moment. But, but what I want to let you know is this, is, is what you have in your hands is the packet, is the presentation of, of what, what we're proposing. 
what we wanted to bring to you as a church for a vote of confidence here in a few weeks to, to look at, to pray about, to think about, to, to, to look at all of those things. And so this packet is just, is just kind of showing you kind of the direction of what we're thinking. Of course, it's, um, it, it's a rough draft and it's putting together and looking at and we've tried to crunch the numbers the best that we can of, uh, and doing some things like that. And, and I, just, I just want to share with you why I believe God's got his hand on this. Because in this whole, this whole time of praying, in this whole time of seeking, in this whole time of, of walking through for the last year, year and a half, and then the last three months with the trustees, in this process, God got a hold of somebody else's heart. And in getting a hold of somebody else's heart, we've had somebody approach us that wants to remain anonymous, that says, what I want to do for this church and this ministry and this opportunity is I want to front $100,000 to get you started. Okay, that's like one of those moments where you can go, oh. Let's try that again. So they have approached and they said, we want to front $100,000 to get this program started. That was great. <sighs> and I'm like, all right, all right, but what does that mean? After sharing the idea and sharing the heart behind it and looking at it and crunching some numbers and things like that, they, they said, we want to front $100,000 to get you started, to get, to get the things that you need to get, to, to get you to purchase whatever. You're going to need a director. You're going to need some workers. You're going to need some, some new, new buses. The van we got we can't use. We're going to need new buses. We're going to need some new things like that. You're going to need, you're going to need a new playground for big kids. You're going to need some stuff. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to front that. And then you just pay it back as we go. But what you can do is this person said, I want this. This family said, I want this to be successful and be for the kingdom. I want this ministry to go. And this family, this person has such a heart for kids. And so what did I do? I continued to meet with the trustees and shared the heart with the trustees and with Don, our financial secretary. And I said, how crazy is that? That God would press on someone's heart so much so that they would do something like that. That they would want to do something like that. So what do we do? We started to work on it even more. And so we've put some things down. And so what we've done, next slide, next slide, Dave, is going to be this. this. This is our vision and mission because to start this thing, this is what we want this to be about. We're not going to veer from this. We're not going to get off course from this. This is going to direct and guide everything that we do. This will be the funnel by which we run every single thing that happens in this program through. Our vision is this. We're going to exist to reach our community with the gospel and influence the home and the family in an encouraging and uplifting way that does what brings glory to God. And I don't know if you're aware, but there is a subdivision right here. There's a community here. And they're about to start building a ton of homes across the road from us. I mean, how amazing would it be that we can infiltrate these communities, how this way, through the heart of their kids. I mean, do you know the impact kids has on their parents? Even as it pertains to the parents coming to faith? Even as it, as it pertains to the parents coming to church and being a part of a local congregation? And so we want to exist what to reach our community with what the gospel. This is going to be gospel-heavy, gospel-influenced. It's going to be uplifting. Bring glory to God. That's our vision. That's where we're going. How are we going to get there? This is how we're going to get there. We're going to serve our community and families. This is our mission by providing a Christ-centered environment that is loving, encouraging, fun, and safe for kids to be a part of after school and in the summer. That's what we're going to do. That's the funnel by which everything, everything runs through. And so we even got to dreaming and got to being crazy as, as the leadership of this church and as trustees as we met. And we said, how cool would it be? Because we understand there's a business side to it. And we want to be smart and we need to break even and we're not going to cause financial uh, uh, turmoil on the church or financial burden on the church. We don't, we don't want to do that at all. And so we, but we got crazy and we started praying like crazy type stuff. How cool would it be that this thing is so successful that God blesses and puts his hand on it so much that we find a single mom living next door just trying to make ends meet. And we go to that single mom and we're like, listen, mama, 
probably shouldn't call her mama. Listen, mom, miss mom, miss mom, we want to offer you free childcare this year. Can you imagine what that would do in the life of that home and that mom and that kid? The burden that it would remove? I mean, can you imagine what God could do through that? And so what if, what if God blesses this so much and it's so successful in, in that realm of things that we can, we can offer five scholarships for the year where we can meet the needs of somebody that is struggling like crazy, that we can step in and we can actually be the church in someone's life? I mean, how amazing would that be? So that's our vision, that's our mission, that's what God's pressed upon our heart. And, and the funny thing was this, and I just want to let you know the kind of leadership you have in this church, is, is as we met and as we walked through and as we talked about this, there was a point where the mission, uh, they, they looked at me and they're like, Scott, do you think we can maybe put a little bit more Jesus in the mission? I mean, how amazing is that, that you, we have a leadership team here that we just didn't quite have enough Jesus in the mission portion of it. Uh, you think I'm going to argue that? Ah, too much Jesus is not a good thing, man, I don't know. Heck no. So what we're going to do, everything that we're going to do is going to be central with the gospel, central with sharing Jesus with children, with the families, uh, uh, making much of the gospel and Jesus to the point where we can reach families for the glory of God. So that's our vision. That's our mission. Look, look at the, the next slide is just to kind of show you like a little bit of the dreaming as we dream about it. As you can see there, we've got the gym. And, and right on the back side of the gym, that, that dotted line is just a fence that we're going to have to put up with some, some of those red uh, uh, sunshades out there. A gaga pit, because I heard you don't start a daycare without a gaga pit. Whatever that is. It's not kind of lady gaga, this is a game. Um, that was a joke nobody got. Never mind. Dating myself, sorry. So we're looking at that right there in the middle. We've got some, uh, a field for games and for balls and stuff like that. We've got a little pad over there for Foursquare or shuffleboard, whatever we want to do there. We've got some swing sets we're going to put out, different things like that. I mean, the cool thing is this, is that there's an offer for $100,000 already that, that, that doesn't even put us back. And then as we go and as we begin to be successful and as things start to happen, we start to pay back. We start to, we start to give back to where this loan came from. And so that, that's, that's what we see there is a little dream on the backside. We've, God's already blessed us with this little playground over here on the side for the kids. And, and, and so what does that mean? Next, next slide, Dave. Is this, this is our thought. This is our dream is this, is that it starts this summer that it would start this summer. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use the summer program and we're looking at going kids from kindergarten and our hope and our prayers to go up through eighth grade. Uh, there's not many or very few, if, if I don't know any, uh, that, that does it up through middle school to have a place where kids can come, where students can come after school and be a safe environment, a good environment where they can learn about Jesus, where they can get their homework done, they get energy out. And so our hope and our thought is this, is to start this summer Looking, we'll, we'll, we'll use this summer as a, as a pipeline to fill the after-school program. But having that opportunity to impact kids, and it'll go Monday through Friday, from the morning to the evening when, when parents get off. And we'll have all of these things for them. We'll have a time of worship. We'll have a time of games and fun. We'll have snacks. We'll, all of those type of things, but, but provide an environment and where we can just love on kids and love on the family. And so it goes from there and it leads into this next one. Next slide, Dave, is going to be the after-school program. So we, we start with the summer and we use that as a pipeline to fill the after-school. All the while blitzing the community. All the while, who knows who would want to use it here in the church and be a part of it and have your kids come to it even here in our church. But offering an after-school. So when they, when they get out of school, we'll pick them up, we'll bring them back here and we'll, we'll love on them and we'll share Jesus with them. We'll have, have snacks, we'll have time to do some homework and they'll have time to get energy out. And it'll run Monday through Friday. 
And so this, this is what we're looking at. This is what God's put on our heart. And I guess as I read those statistics of kids being saved with a gospel centrality to it, the gospel drive and focus of it, man, the opportunity to impact kids' lives, to impact families' lives, I guess all I'm trying to say is let's get back to the 1940s where the worst thing we had to worry about somebody cutting line and throwing out garbage. Let's fight against what 1990 and even to today is fighting against. And how do we do that? We don't educate more. We don't do all that. That stuff, we don't start programs. What we do is we share the gospel. Church, the gospel is the only thing that can change hearts and change lives. The gospel is the only thing that can revert us back to what's most important and it's a relationship with Jesus. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel that changes actions. And I guess what I'm asking you to do is to begin to pray. Begin to pray and say, okay, is this a ministry opportunity for our church? Is this something that we would want to be a part of? That we would, we would want to, to mirror what Jesus' heart was about in reaching the families, reaching the children, and loving on kids? Is this something that we believe God could be leading us into? And so I'm just going to share with you, again, my thought is I think it's absolutely positively crazy to try to do something like this in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle, the middle of a time when we don't know what school's going to be like. I think it's crazy and it's foolish. And I know your thought is like, but, but Scott, I thought you were here to try to sell us on this. Hear me out for a second. Because it's crazy, it's not foolish, as crazy as it is to try to do this, I had the opportunity to teach last Thursday at the BCM, it's the Baptist Collegiate Ministry here in Spartanburg, and had the opportunity to share this story of Jesus calling uh, a Peter and, and some of his brothers to follow him as, as their disciples. And I guess the thing that just really hit me all the more as I read that story there, and I see Jesus sitting down there at the lake of Genesaret, and he begins to teach, and, and he tells him to push out a little further, and he looks at Peter and says, all right, throw your net out, and Peter's like, ah, we've been, we've been fishing all night, Lord. And we've caught nothing. Why would we do this now? He says, all right, we'll do it. They're fishing at a time that makes absolutely no sense. You fish, you fish at night in the shallow water. You don't fish in the middle of the day in the deep water. And I don't know how familiar you are with that story, but what does Peter do? He does it, and as he does it, he begins to pull the net in. And what happens? The scriptures say that he catches so many fish that the nets begin to break. And he calls for his buddies to come. Uh, signals from the shore. Hey, guys, come on, help out. Hurry up. Come, come. And they get out there, and they start to fill the boat so much that the boats begin to sink. And I guess the thing that just really hit me as I was, as I was teaching through that, and as I was thinking about what God's put on my heart and the things that we've been praying about as a leadership here and those type of things, is that that's where God hangs out. Is it the impossible and the things that don't make sense? I mean, it, it makes no sense that someone would say, I want to front you $100,000. It makes no sense. None. And the fact, I believe that's exactly where God hangs out and that's exactly where God flourishes and I believe that's where God wants his church. It's on the edge of where it seems to be impossible. Why? So who gets the glory through this? Him. Not us, it's not our power, it's not our might, it's nothing that we've done. It's all been done for the glory and honor of God and he gets glory in the impossible. So what I want you to do is I want you to take this, I want you to look through this, man, I want you to call, trustees, hands up right quick, trustee, if you're a trustee, just so you can see, look around, there they are, me, yep. Uh, 
If you've got questions, you don't have to wait till next weekend to ask those questions. Call us, uh, set something up. We will talk all we need to talk about. We will answer every question that we possibly can. Uh, but what we're looking to do is this, is next Sunday after the service, 1115, we're going to have a Q&A. So if you have questions, if you have thoughts, because we, we want you to bring those to us. There may be some things that we've overlooked, some things that we, we haven't seen. We've been talking with other directors and, and other daycares and other after-school programs around. And we just, we just want to make sure we've got all of our ducks in a row. We've got everything uh, like it needs to be, those type of things. And so we want you to take this and we want you to begin to pray about this. And next week we'll talk about it and have a Q&A. And then the next week, the following week, the 15th, is we're going to just have a vote of confidence as a church. Saying yes or no. Yes, we believe that God wants us to, to, to push out into the deep and go after this and follow after him as it pertains to this ministry opportunity. And see if that's the direction that God wants us to go. So, so, so that's kind of the timeline. Next week, a Q&A. The week after that, we'll have a vote of confidence to see if this is the direction that God wants us to go as a church. Because what we know is this, is we want you, we want you back in it. We want your support. We want your prayers. We want, we want your encouragement. Man, we need that. We want that. We want this thing to be successful. Remember as we talked a few, a few months ago about unity, we want to be unified as a church. We want everybody on board to be committed to praying for and seeking the best for this ministry opportunity. So take that, be praying, ask questions, hit us up, let us know, and we'll see what God's got in store for us as we move forward. So back, back, back to our story. Verse 14. Verse 14. Look at Jesus' response. He says this. He says, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them for, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And so what he's saying here is this, is that the kingdom belongs to those with childlike faith. Not childish faith, but childlike faith. And there's a big difference as it pertains to uh, childish and childlike. Uh, let me try to explain. Childish is what you try to discipline out of your children. Uh, like, I don't know if you're familiar, if you were part of this game growing up, but I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. Until the other sibling finally gets sick of it, and then they touch you back. Even though you weren't touching them, they, they touch you and let you know just, oh, you don't, you're not touching me. That's childish. That's what that means. And we never delight when that exists in an adult. That's never a good thing. Childlikeness is celebrated. It's awe-inspired. It's, it's loved in children. So what is childlike faith? Childlike faith is an admission or a neediness. There's an admission of dependency. That's what childlike faith is. That's what Jesus is looking for. It's like this right now, I've got a four-year-old and, and, and I take him to, uh, to daycare every, every day and as I take him and as we're driving on the road, if there's a sunrise, I'm like, oh man, buddy, look at that. What, dad? Look at that sunrise, man. Look at those colors. Look at those things that you see. Oh, I said, who did that? He says, God did it. And you know what? He believes me to the T. That somehow, way, that God pulled up with all of his might that sun and put it right there at that specific time for that specific day and he took his brush and he just painted like I can tell him whatever and he will believe it that's the childlike faith that we're talking about it's actually the prayer that I pray every year multiple times through the year God, God help me get to this place where I see my dependency where I see my need for you help me stay at this place because that's the thing that you learn about a child is it not? as well as they're, they're needy they're very needy why? because they can't do it themselves and they're very impressionable. They're very moldable and shapeable. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. Where, where we read it, we see it, we, we hear him say it, and we, we, we believe it wholeheartedly and we run absolute headlong into it. That's childlike faith. It's faith and total trust in. It's believing wholeheartedly and being fully, fully committed. It's recognizing the need for the Spirit in you. 
the desire and pursuit of living a holy, righteous, moral life for the glory of God. That's what childlike faith is. How do you become a citizen of the kingdom? It's that. It's through childlike faith. It's entering into relationship with Jesus through that type of faith. And look at what he says, verse 15. Truly, truly, or truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So hear me. The only way that any of us ever become citizens of the kingdom is through a childlike faith like that. It's by seeing and beholding and glorying in, in all that Christ has done and accomplished for us on his cross. And it's entering into by way of faith, a childlike faith, which brings me to my second point. What do citizens do? What does that mean? We enter in and we become citizens through childlike faith, and then what do we do? We live a life of repentance. Mark 1.14, turn over a few pages to your left. Mark 1.14, excuse me, it says this. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So the kingdom of God's here is what he's saying. It's breaking through, it's busting through, it's here before you. You're going to see this in the miracles that Jesus performs and the way that he lives. He's pointing us to the very place we need to put our hope as it pertains to the gospel moving through the earth. And then he goes on and he says this. The kingdom of God is at hand. He says this. This is what we're to do. We're to repent. Repent is just, in the Greek it means to have a change of mind. It means to turn. It's to, it's to repent and believe the gospel. That's what we do with our childlike faith. We repent and we believe. And so repentance is a word that we don't really understand, I don't think, fully. And then when we come to understand it, we don't really like it. And what happened is, is, is we've lowered the bar of what it looks like to be a man or woman of God. And so we don't, we don't like it. It's hard and it's difficult. Why? Because we don't like to be told that we're wrong. We don't like to be told that we've messed up. We, we, don't, we don't want to be hurt or we don't want to be cut. I think another reason is because we try to be cool enough for the world while trying to follow Jesus at the same time. And what the gospel does is it calls us out on that because we've lowered that bar. We try to make it easy believism. We try to make it something that doesn't cost us our lives, but to be a part of the kingdom costs us absolutely everything. Jesus gets all or he gets nothing. There's not a middle ground. There's not a middle road. There's, there's, there's two, two ways and that's it. Straight and the narrow and the broad way that leads to destruction is what the scriptures teach. And so so how, does, how does repentance work? And I just think that this is something that's so vital for us to walk through for just a moment. Repentance works like this. You have a believer. You got to be a believer. You believe because you're, uh, as a believer, you repent. You see your sin. You're caught out in your sin. You feel conviction by way of the Holy Spirit over our sin. And sin is anything that we say, think, or do that goes against God's standard. Anything that we do that's contrary to his glory and his honor and what he has commanded and set out for us. So a believer, we feel conviction over our sin. And we feel that in our life. And then what do we do? We respond in one of two ways. The way that we respond to conviction is one is this, is if we deny, we blame, we deflect, and we stay silent. That's one way that we, we handle conviction. We, we take sin and repentance and we throw these words out and we just, we just replace them all with this word struggle. It's not really sin, it's just a little struggle thing that I'm going through. Oh, you struggle with that? And hear me, there are real struggles that are not tied to sin. I get that, but a lot of them, we're taking sin and we're naming it a struggle so that Makes, us, makes it our pet and we don't have to repent of it. We don't really have to do anything with it. And so the way into the kingdom is not struggle, but it's repentance. The, the life that we live out is a life of repentance. 
And what happens because it's, it's a struggle and it's not a sin, we never feel the weight of needing to repent of it. So we manage the struggle rather than putting to death the sin by repentance. And then the second thing is this, is that this is the other way that we handle conviction and what we do with conviction is we own our sin. We own our sin and we press into the Lord and we confess and we turn and we allow our heart to be broken over our rebellion. See, that little word there, repent, is, is a great, great word. It's one of those things that whereby we run to God and we ask him to break our heart over our sin, to change our mind about our sin. Because there's a, my fear is that we've, we have fallen too much in love with the things of the flesh, which are in contrary battle against the things of the Spirit is what the Scriptures teach. And so we need to be broken over that. I don't know about you, and I don't know how you live your life, but I know for me it's one of those things that I look often in my life. I'm like, okay, God, am I loving something more than you? Something of this world more than you? Am I desiring something of this world more than you? Am I acting or looking like in any area of my life like this world more than you? Then what do I want? I want you to break me. I, I, want, I want you to destroy, point that out and destroy it. I think one of the greatest things that can ever happen to us as followers of Jesus is that we get caught in our sin. Because in that moment... Is, is that we have to figure out and do something with it. And we can do one of those two things. We can either try to, to justify it, try to silence it, try to push it back to the side, try to, try, to, try to blame circumstances and situations and upbringing, or we can handle the thing and we can try to kill sin by repentance and begging God to break our heart and to crush us and helping us see Him hanging on the cross in His glory and splendor, dying for our sin. I mean, think about that for a moment. How easy is it to, to wander into sin? Whenever the picture of the cross is heavy on your heart. Whenever Jesus, bloody and mangled and beyond recognition, is hanging there, how easy is it for me to have that in my mind and run over here and gossip about my neighbor? How easy is it for me to have that burned on my heart and then, well, I'm just going to run over here with Jesus hanging out with me and, and I'm going I'm to struggle with this or do this over here. See, that's why the gospel's so important all the time, every day. We need to have that fresh on our heart, in our minds. Because you know how hard it is to sin when you think of that? When you have to go through that to get to whatever little fleshly desire for the moment that arises? And if by some chance it does happen, that, that's kind of the picture of sin. Read First John. First John is pinned, and as it's pinned, it's kind of this thought is, if by some chance you happen to sin, like, like, like you get that, right, church? For us as believers, sin never has to be an option. We, we don't have to. We don't have to sin. Why? Because we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, directing us, guiding us, making provision, making a way for us, uh, uh, being, uh, being the voice of reason, the, the deriving force in our life to the point where we don't have to sin. Francis Chan said it like this years ago and it just it wrecked me. But what happens is this. This is what he says. Francis Chan said, what happens is that when we sin, we stop loving God for that brief moment. Think of it like that. You don't have to. But in choosing to sin, you choose to stop loving him for that moment and you run after the desires of the flesh, the longings of your heart. And, and I don't know about you, but when I think of a Savior hanging on a cross for me even in spite of that and see this is what's just wrecked my world as it pertains to the gospel as it pertains to salvation is that Jesus died when over 2,000 years ago and he is God in the flesh right so he 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 knows and he is aware of my shortcomings my failures 2,000 years down the road 
2,036 years down the road, whenever, whenever Scott would be born again, would be saved, and, and knowing that Scott would rebel against his standard, his commands, that Scott would sin, what does he do? He still goes to the cross and dies for. Why would I not want a Savior like that? Why would I not want to come clean whenever I'm, whenever I'm caught in my sin? And you know what? I may not be caught by another single person in this world, but my Savior sees all and knows all and he's aware of all. So why would I not want to live a life of repentance? Not rededication. We don't want to put these fancy, cute little words, okay, I'm just going to rededicate now so I can go live like hell the rest of the week and do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to rededicate again. It's, it's, it's a practice that we live out every moment of every day, church. It's a practice of repentance whereby the Holy Spirit convicts and shows us sin in our life and then we run to Jesus and beg him to break our heart. And so that's what we see. We own it, we press into and we confess. That's the path of life. That's life in the kingdom. The thing I love about the kingdom, the thing I love about Jesus is this, is that the invitation has been laid out to all who will hear and come in. Jesus comes to save the world from condemnation, to save us from sin. The gospel believes all the more the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. That's the great news of the gospel. How do we enter and become citizens? Childlike faith. What do we do once we're part of the kingdom? We live a life of repentance. Pursuing Jesus with everything in us. And when we stop pursuing for however long or for whatever reason, we beg the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and we repent and we run back after. That's what we do. That's what we do as citizen kingdoms. I mean, as, kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom. So as the band comes back up and we close out, church, the kingdom is at hand. That's the invitation. The kingdom is at hand. You've been invited into the safety of the king's presence. You've been invited into ultimate power. You've been invited in to dump your self-sufficiency for the provision of the one that can supply absolutely everything that you'll ever need. The kingdom is for those who will enter into relationship with Jesus through childlike faith and live a life of repentance. To see your sin as an offense before God. To own it and to repent. So my question for you is this as they get ready to lead us. Are you a citizen? Have you ever entered that way? Have you come to the place of where God has opened up your eyes and opened up your heart to the reality of your sin as an offense to a holy and righteous God? And shown you of your great need for him. And when you do, you enter into that through faith. I guess my question would be this. If not, what's keeping you from being a citizen? Whether you're watching online or whether you're here in this place this morning. And the gospel has been proclaimed. That's a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit whereby he attacks the hardness of our heart and draws us all the more into his presence. So are you, part of this, are you part of the kingdom? Are you a citizen? And the last question I'd ask you is this, are you living a life of repentance? I, I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, it's, it's a daily thing. It's like, ah, oh, dang it, I thought that. Ah, oh, come back, I said that. Shucks. I, I, I just, just this week, I'm just, just this week, I called this guy over here. Franklin, didn't I call you? I'm like, dang it, Franklin, I said something stupid. It's like, and I love it. He's like, what'd you say? I'm not going to repeat it again. No, he's like, Scott, I didn't, I didn't think a thing of it. I said, well, I appreciate that, brother. But I, I just, for whatever reason, I just felt conviction and I wanted to call you and I want to tell you I'm sorry if it was offensive or if it was, I, I'm sorry. I mean, you don't know how many times I've had to do that. Call and apologize because I said something or I thought something or I, I just, I want to live in such a way that honors God and I want to be so sensitive to any little thing that could be considered sin. Anything. 
And because the way that we live, church, is broken before our King and sensitive to the seriousness of sin and whatever little thing may come up, and in our heart and our desire has to be that to honor God. And so if there, no matter how small or how insignificant it may appear or seem, I want the very desire of my heart to be the pursuit of Jesus all times, every day. And so I'm constantly asking him to point out things in my life. Constantly. And then when he does, and, and hear me, he loves us enough to tell us, don't he? Like, we got people in our life. Like, I don't know if you've, like, ever watched the whole, uh, what was that, American Idol show? And, like, what, the first few weeks are people that really can't sing that they just want to make fun of. And so they put them on TV. Like, like, those people don't have friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would you do that to your buddy? Okay, maybe I understand why you do that to your buddy. But that's not the God we serve. No, he loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. And, and, and hear me, that's the great news of the gospel. He's already told us. And so as we enter into relationship, he, he's a good father that points out those, those areas we need to work on. Like me and my parenting, I'm trying my best to, to shape and to mold my boys and to help them become something. And that's the God we serve. He loves us enough to let us know. He doesn't let us waller in the pigsty and the mud and murk of sin. No, he calls us out of that because he's got so much more for us. And so what do we do as citizens, as, as, as children of God? We live a life of repentance. And so I don't know if there's sin in your life, and we're going to address this even more tonight as we come together for our night of praise and worship. I mean, this altar is open. If you, if you want to come and talk more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I'll be here. If you just want to just spend time on your face before God saying, God, break my heart over this. I did this this weekend. I had this this thought. Man, I'm rebelling you in this area. Whatever the case is, man, you be obedient to Jesus in this moment of response. You lead us.